0: I pray for you before we start. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Father, we just thank you so much for Janie. We thank you for the word that you've given her this morning. And Lord, may you just come for your spirit and help to just bring that alive. As we read the words from Ephesians, may they just make sense. And may we go away just really knowing what it is you want to say to us. And may you just really connect, connect with us through your word and through what Janie says. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Um, So in a moment, Julia's going to come up and do the reading, but I just thought I would remind anybody um, who hasn't been following our series, we're doing a series on Ephesians, and today we're doing Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing from jail to the church he planted in Ephesus, uh, trying to
1: encourage them. So, Julia, over to you. So the... The reading is from Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13, which can be found on page 117 in the Church Bibles or 1859 in the large print Bibles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory.
0: Thank you very much. I have to say, I read that through when I was first preparing to write this talk and I thought to myself, what? <laughs> um, the way that Paul's right is quite convoluted. He, he puts an awful lot of information into uh, one little passage. So I've decided I'm going to go through Uh, verse by verse, uh, so we can try and understand what it is he's saying. But as I'm doing that, I want to pick out three reasons why I believe Paul's life was so fruitful. And the first reason I want to suggest that Paul's ministry is so fruitful is that he's so purposeful. Like a professional athlete running a race, he has his eye on the prize. He knows what he's called to do and focus his attention on achieving his goals, no matter what distractions or barriers he faces. nothing is allowed to stand in the way of him fulfilling his calling and This is very clear from the very start of the passage we're about we 've just had read to us in verse one, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, the reason Paul is actually writing to the Ephesians rather than speaking to them in person is that he is in a Roman prison. And on this occasion, he's been in prison for two or three years. He's been falsely accused of trumped-up charges, thrown into prison and labelled as an enemy of the state, not only because he's been openly and publicly preaching about Jesus as the Son of God, but also because he's been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and inviting them into his church. Surely we should therefore expect Paul to start his, this section of his letter with Paul, a prisoner of the Roman Empire, not Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. However, Paul wants the Ephesians to know that although he's not in a place of his choosing, he knows that somehow God is working out his plan through his suffering. He knows that he is where he is because God has allowed him to be there and that no matter what weapon is sent against him, nothing can stand in the way of God's intended outcome. From the very opening phrase of his explanation, Paul is clear who he is working for and what his calling is. And then we come to verse (coughs) 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul appears to stop midway through sentence one and change the subject completely to one that appears to have no relevance whatsoever to the first sentence. Why? Well, the clue is in the fact that verses 2, and 13, two through to 13 are framed by two for this reason statements. Paul starts this section with, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then returns to that phrase in verse 14 when he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. What appears to be happening is in verse 1, Paul is about to launch into praying for the Ephesians when he makes a last minute decision. Um, that he's going to explain why he's going to pray what he's going to pray before he actually starts praying. So he uses the same phrase in verse 14. So it's as if the verses that we're going to be looking at are in parentheses. They're a a side that Paul puts in for his readers so that they can understand why he's praying so passionately for them. So let's look at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that's been given to me for you. The word we see translated as administration is the Greek word oikonomia, which could equally be translated as stewardship. It's the word that speaks of exercising oversight over something. And in this case, Paul is reminding them of his call to extend the offer of God's grace to them. He is well aware of the purpose for which he is on earth, but he wants to double-check that the Ephesians remember that too, that they know when he's speaking to them, he's doing so not on his own behalf, but as someone who has been commissioned by God. So what is this grace that he's speaking about? Let's read on, verses three to six. That is... The mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, Member together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So Paul goes on to clarify that the grace he's speaking of is the mystery made known to me by revelation. The mystery that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. The grace that Paul has been called to steward and that is the very reason he is imprisoned. It is God's previously veiled plan to adopt the Gentiles into his family. Those who were excluded were to become fellow heirs of God's promises, receiving forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. And as Lucy spoke about last week, the walls of exclusion were to be removed once and for all. And as a result of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, everybody connected to Jesus by faith alone is an heir of the promises of God made in the Old Testament. Now we know that Paul isn't alone in having received this revelation. We know from Acts 10 that the Apostle Peter also received this revelation. But it is Paul, the Jew of Jews, who has a specific calling to oversee the administration of this mystery, a mystery which is to be severely contested. The pressure to revert to the old ways of exclusion will even lead Peter to refuse to eat with Gentiles, something that we see Paul confronted with in Galatian. Paul is keenly aware that he is responsible for stewarding this grace and for ensuring that the Gentiles, including the Ephesians, are made aware of the glorious inheritance that is being offered to them, no matter what the cost is to himself. Paul continues, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul understands that although he studied scripture under one of the most respected rabbis, that is not why he is entrusted with overseeing this mystery. He received the honor not through any working of his own, but as a gift of God's grace, not through his own efforts but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to explain, Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. When he says, I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this is not rhetoric, Paul is overwhelmed by the generosity of God who's offered him a position of leadership in his church in spite of the fact that not so long ago he was persecuting the Christians and even murdering them. He concentrated his efforts on doing everything he could to destroy the God's kingdom on earth and yet now he has been invited to lead this church he should have expected execution, not promotion. And Paul never forgot God's grace towards him and counted it an honor to be a servant of the gospel. So now we come to verses 10 and 11. Paul's powerful statement about the reason for the church's very existence. God's intent was that now, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The great, sovereign, cosmic purposes of God have always been to make the glory of his wisdom known through the global church. God intends that you and I disclose his wisdom, not only to the rest of humanity, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So no pressure then. So what is this wisdom? Well, Paul answers this in 1 Corinthians 1. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Greeks thought Jesus' death on the cross was foolish, the Jews found it offensive and the demonic powers must surely have thought it was their ultimate victory. But to those who are being saved, the, God, the cross is God's sovereign wisdom in action. When Jesus died on the cross, he demolished all walls of separation and created the church, re-establishing his kingdom on earth and sealing the fate of the demonic powers and principalities once and for all. This is the wisdom of God. And as people from different nations, backgrounds, preferences and experiences come together, So the church displays the rich tapestry of the wisdom of God to the heavenly powers and authorities, modelling the new way of being human and acting as a prototype of how the universe will be when God's kingdom covers the earth. So we as the church are called to proclaim this wisdom of God's unity and diversity, not only with our mouths, but also prophetically by the way we live our lives. In this way, the church by its very existence makes known the future hope to all humanity and declares the imminent destruction awaiting the satanic principalities and powers. So in the fullness of time, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the second reason I suggest that Paul's ministry is so fruitful is this, that his life is a prophetic statement. Paul understands that as part of the church, we're called not just to work out our own personal salvation, but to prophetically display the glory of God's manifold wisdom by the way we live our lives. It's because he is pioneering this new way of life that he has been thrown in prison because who he is seen because who he is is seen as a challenge to the sovereignty of the rulers and authorities a sign that the christian way is posing a decisive threat to the rule of evil in this world so that brings us to the final two verses verses 12 and 13 in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask, uh, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul asks the Ephesians not to d- be discouraged when they see what happens when a man fully gives himself to God's plan. Not to worry when they see him suffer, even though he has faced almost every discouragement possible. Over the course of his ministry, Paul was severely beaten four times, stoned and left for dead once, stranded on an island once, shipwrecked three times, in prison for over six years, bitten by a snake, and probably most painfully In spite of all the work that he did for the kingdom, he was rejected by his own brothers and sisters in the church. And yet, he did not lose heart. His faith was unshakable because he understood that what the enemy intends to destroy us, God will use for our good. The demonic forces are trying to prevent God's wisdom from being revealed. But the more that they try to... Crush the gospel bearers, the more that the gospel light shines out. The enemy intended the cross to be the final death knell of the hope of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. But because of God's wisdom, the cross was the very means by which the kingdom was birthed. Equally, I have no doubt whatsoever that the enemy felt he had silenced Paul when he slammed him in jail. And yet, as a result of the letters which Paul wrote while he was interned, the gospel has reached millions of people all over the world who would never have had the opportunity to meet Paul himself. Paul has discovered that no matter what darkness he travels through, the light of lights will ultimately shine through. God has the bigger picture, his ways are not our ways. But, he can, but we can be sure that ultimately his will will be done no matter what our circumstances. Paul is not in a place of his choosing, but God's plan is being worked out there. God is sovereign and God is in control. When we are serving God to the best of our ability, we can have confident, confidence that God's eternal purpose is being carried out, whether that is through our ministry or through our suffering. God uses all things for his glory. So the third reason why I want to suggest that Paul's ministry is so fruitful is that he understands no matter what it what may look like from the outside, his life is powerful paul didn't look paul didn't look at life from a worldly perspective but from an eternal one from a worldly perspective he would have every reason to be discouraged a rabbi who received so little respect in the synagogue was beaten rejected and shunned and then finally decapitated hardly looks like a triumphant success However, from an eternal perspective, few people on earth have ever had such a profound impact on so many people, and ultimately on building God's kingdom on earth. It didn't matter to Paul if he was in prison or not. He didn't let his circumstances dictate his fruitfulness. Wherever he was, whatever trial he was going through, He purposefully made every effort to fulfill his calling, not only to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but also to prophetically display God's wisdom to the powers and authorities, trusting God to make use of his faithful service. And my prayer is for us as a church that we would learn to do likewise. And as I was looking back over those three words of what it means to live purposely, prophetically and powerfully, it struck me that that is not possible unless we have an eternal perspective. And in this world, um, people will box you in and they will tell you this, your career is your calling, or if you don't have a job, then you don't have a calling But actually, that's not how it works. God designs each one of us individually, and each one of us, 100%, has a calling on our lives. And my calling, for instance, is not to be a vicar. My calling is to let people know that God loves them and to make sure that the gospel goes to as many people as possible. I choose to be a vicar because I believe that is the best way by which I may fulfill my purpose in God. And equally, if I was a maths teacher, it may be from a worldly perspective, success looks like teaching everybody in the room to um, do good maths, but that's unlikely to be an eternal perspective because we're not going to get a maths test on the way into heaven. Praise the Lord. (laughs) If you're a teacher, your calling may well be to... Be the person to model what it means to be a man or woman of of God to show love to a generation who, who are isolated and lonely. We each have a calling on our life, and if we can't see past what the world tells us we are supposed to be, we will not learn to make full use of everything God has given us. So I think it's really important for every single one of us to be able to fathom out what is your calling. Paul's calling was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He knew it and therefore he wouldn't let anything distract him. What is the one thing God has put you on earth for? Not a job title but the heart of you that he is asking you to do before you return to him. So we're just going to have a moment of silence to have a think about that. and I want you to turn to the person sitting next to them and tell them what your calling is. It may be you don't know. That's okay. Don't feel bad about it. Ask the person to um, pray for you that you would be able to learn what it is. Okay, let's pray. Lord, Lord, I thank you that each one of us is wonderfully and fearfully made. I thank you, Lord, that you have put each one of us here to expand your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us clarity of vision to know what it is that you are calling us to do. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live purposeful, prophetic, and powerful lives that you would anoint us so that we can do everything we can to grow your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that through our ministries, there would be no more crying on earth, that your love would be poured out in this place. So Lord, we offer you everything that we are, and we ask you to use us for your glory. Amen.